Hello and welcome to The Case Files. I'm Kate Chabot and over the course of this podcast series, I'll be bringing you the true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. In this episode of The Case Files, we hear from a man who was hit by the car used in one of the UK's worst terror attacks at Westminster Bridge in 2017. As I was coming over the bridge, I heard a lot of commotion. Breaking plastic was the thing that I heard. So I turned round. I couldn't get out of the way. It it was happening so quick. The next thing was everything went quiet. Everything went like slow-mo and everything went bright. We'll hear about his injuries that shocked his partner and even medical staff. We saw that from the middle of his back down to the back of his knees was completely black with bruising. And even she was shocked. She said, oh my God, look at the bruising. And we'll discover how, with the help of the police, doctors, counsellors and his legal team, he and his partner are building a new life. That's my garage just out the window there. So that that will be turned into a little man shed, if you like. (laughs) I like mending things, like I want to build a doll's house for my granddaughter, is what I want to do. Plus, we'll hear from the police officer who coordinated the team of 60 family liaison officers who worked on the case. He tells us what happened in Scotland Yard when the news came in. When it came up on the telly immediately in the office, it was literally silence. It reminded me of 9-11 when we were in the office and we saw the planes going into the buildings. It was that shock that it was in the heart of Westminster And then it was literally chaos. At 2.40pm on the 22nd of March 2017, a 52-year-old man, Khaled Massoud, steered his rented car onto the pavement on Westminster Bridge in London and deliberately drove into pedestrians. Then, after crashing the car, he got out and stabbed to death an unarmed police officer, Keith Palmer, in front of the Houses of Parliament. Armed police then shot Masood. The whole attack took just 82 seconds. Masood had killed five people and left more than 50 injured. But actions that took little over a minute have had life-changing consequences for those involved and their families. We're going to hear from one of the people hit by the car on the bridge, Keith Chapman. We'll also talk to his partner, Linda Rennie, one of his legal team, and the man who coordinated the police's team of family liaison officers on the day. Let's start with Keith. Keith didn't feel comfortable coming to our studios in London for this episode. Since the attack, he hasn't been able to return to the city. Instead, he invited me and the Case Files team to his house in Stevenage. At the time of the attack, Keith was working as a pest controller at St Thomas's Hospital. The UK threat level for terrorism in the country was listed as severe, meaning an attack was highly likely. Keith was on Westminster Bridge, walking with some equipment he was delivering to a colleague at Guy's Hospital. As I was coming over the bridge, I heard a lot of commotion. Um, Breaking plastic was the thing that I heard. I didn't know what it was. So I turned round to see what was going on. That was when he was about a metre from me, I suppose. So I couldn't get out of the way. So what did you see it. exactly? Yeah, yeah, I just saw the the, the front of his car, which was a, a four by four. And what went through your mind? It, it was happening so quick that um, the next thing was it, it, everything went quiet, uh, everything went light slow mo, and everything went bright. And the next thing, I was laying on the, in the road with a, 
uh, people around me. Do you remember actually being hit? I don't remember actually being hit, but I remember him. I remember the vehicle. And I knew I was going to get hit because I couldn't get out of the way. So yeah, I, I knew I was going to get hit, but I, I don't remember getting hit, if, if you understand what I'm saying. And afterwards then? Well, I was uh, laying in the road. I remember a, a, a cab driver stopped. He got out and he, and he was saying, are you all right, blah, blah, blah. I, try, I remember trying to get up. I couldn't get up because my leg was all over the place. Um, so I couldn't get up. And then a policeman called Joe, he come and sat with me. Uh, and he just took over, basically, because my phones were ringing. Because uh, I had two, I, my, my company phone and my personal phone, and they were both ringing. <clears throat> so he took my phones off of me, and then he, he said to me, well, I'm now going to be your PA. He was answering the phone. He rang Linda. We tried to ring Linda, but she weren't picking up because she was at work. He was trying to, oh, yeah, Sam, who the, the guy, my my um, workmate guys, he was trying to ring him because I think Sam knew what was going on on Westminster Bridge, so he had an inkling that I'd be around that area. Four people were killed in the attack on the bridge. Kurt Cochrane was the first. He pushed his wife out of the way before being hit himself. Then Leslie Rhodes was knocked in the air before being dragged along by the car. Aisha Freyd was thrown 17 metres into a bus lane, then fell under an oncoming bus. Andrea Cristea was knocked into the Thames from the bridge and was in the water for nearly nine minutes before being rescued. She died just over two weeks later. Keith remembers what it was like on the bridge. Bodies, people, um, everywhere. Police, armed police, ambulance, fire. Uh, everyone was there. Because you, you remained conscious, didn't you, throughout? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I was conscious all the way through it, yeah. Did, did you yeah. panic at all? Well, no, because I didn't know what was going on. I, I really didn't know what was... I had an inkling, but I just didn't know what was happening. There was a person laying in a road behind me, uh, and I said to Joe, is, is that person OK? And he said, don't worry about it. But that, I know now, was the guy that died. He was laying behind me, I remember that. But I, I couldn't tell whether it was male or female. Um, but anyway, he, he was dead, he was dead, bless him. The lady that went into the Thames, her partner, husband, boyfriend, whoever he was... He was he was going frantic trying to find her. I remember him screaming uh, and shouting for her. One of Keith's most haunting memories is the sound of breaking plastic just before he was hit. During his recovery, he struggled to make sense of his memories, and it was only later, when a police family support officer showed him CCTV evidence, he understood what that noise was. When I saw the CCTV, it was the breaking plastic which made me turn round was. When he mounted the, the the pavement, he run the first person over and that person flew through a newspaper stand and landed by the side of the Thames and that poor that poor man was, di- was dead. Uh, that was a plastic wire breaking. Uh, and that's what made me turn round. So when I turned round, he hit me. But if I hadn't heard that and he hit me from behind, I wouldn't be here now. After Masood drove into the pedestrians, he then crashed his car into the perimeter fence of the Westminster Palace grounds and then ran into New Palace Yard where he fatally stabbed an unarmed police officer. He was then shot by an armed police officer and died at the scene. Police treated the attack as Islamist-related terrorism, 
Masood reportedly said in a final text message that he was waging jihad in revenge for Western military action in Muslim countries in the Middle East. Police have found no link with the terrorist organisation and believe Masood acted alone. After around half an hour, Keith was taken to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in an ambulance. They put me on uh, gas and air. I had the paramedic, Joe the policeman, an armed policeman in the back of the ambulance. Just sirens all the way there. I remember the, the, the driver was um, doing a lot of shouting to traffic. I won't say what he was saying, but there were certain cars in his way, <laughs> put it that way. And how bad were your injuries? They were bad, yeah. I didn't know, but at the time, when I got into A&E, it was um, touch and go whether they was going to take my leg off because it was so badly smashed. But luckily, there was uh, Mr Roach was at the, at the hospital. He, was, uh, he, he, he led the field of these braces that they put on the outside of your leg with pins going through to the bone. And luckily, he was there, and uh, he, took, he took me on straight away and uh, got me in the theatre and... Saved my leg, basically. And how many operations did you need? Two. It w- and it wasn't just your leg. And I mean, I say no, just, no. but it was. It was tibia, fibia, left arm broken. But at that point in time, I didn't know about my back. And what had happened to your back? I had a, a split vertebrae. The twelfth vertebrae was split in half. Keith's partner Linda Rennie was at work at the time. Her phone was in her locker. I checked my phone which is unusual. I actually went to my locker and looked at my phone and I had four missed calls from Keith. And I thought, oh, what does he want? And we were in the process of trying to rescue a dog and I thought it was all to do with the dog. Anyway, I rang him back and a man answered the phone that wasn't Keith and he said, hello, Linda, my name is Joe. There's been a bit of an incident and I'm with Keith. He's a little bit hurt, but he's being looked after. As... Joe was talking to me. I started to pace. I must have sensed there was something wrong. And when I'm a bit wound up, I pace. So I'm walking back towards the dining room where there was a television as big as a wall and Westminster Bridge was on the television. So he said to me, he's injured, but he can talk to you. They put me on to Keith to speak to him. So at what point did you realise that he was caught up in the Westminster Bridge attack? It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. I I don't know why it didn't make sense because I was watching it on the telly. I could see helicopters, police cars, ambulances, fire brigades, people. I could see the whole thing in front of me. Maybe I just didn't want to believe it was terror. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. I then spoke to him and he said, "I'm I'm on an ambulance. And he said, some nutters just mowed us all down on the bridge. Like with a... And I said, what do you mean mowed you down? He said, with a car. And then... I remember thinking, well, he can talk to me, so his brain's okay. And I said, well, what what injuries have you got? He said, I don't know, I just hurt all over. Linda made some scrambled calls to Keith's elder brother and then set off to London to find Keith in hospital. It was shock and relief all at the same time because his left leg had this great big lump of metal from thigh down to his ankle. But he was alive and he was chatting to me, so I knew he was okay. Thank God he was all right. Keith's injuries were severe. There was a, a steel um, rod, if you like, on the outside of my leg going from my ankle up to my thigh. And they used my thigh bone as a, an anchor to hold all the rest of the bones in line. 
So that was on for about 10 days. And then I had to have another operation they take that off. And they put a, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it, it was like, um, they're like circles, mm-hmm. uh, steel circles on the outside of my leg, three of them, all held together with these other rods with adjustments on them, with pins going from there. It was a 13 pins going from there into my bones. And every, I think it was every day or every other day, Linda had to adjust the, the bars to knit the bones back together again. And that was, that was pain. That was very, that was pain. How much pain were you in when you were in hospital? Oh, I was in a hell of a lot of pain, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Constant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They'll say I was on morphine um, a lot of the time. Yeah, but I, I didn't like, I just didn't, I don't like drugs. You must have but, had some dark days if you were in yeah, constant pain. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good at all. Keith plays down his injuries, but he showed me the x-rays of his leg from the time. The bones are smashed to pieces. It's incredible the doctors got them to knit back together. I also saw the x-ray that shows one of his vertebrae split in two. It wasn't spotted at first, but looking back, Linda had seen the signs of problems when she tried to wash Keith in his bed. I went back to the nurse and I said, obviously I've done what I can reach, but he's quite a chunky monkey, my Keith. (laughs) I said, I can't move him and obviously I don't want to hurt him. So... The nurse came with me, she she was lovely, and she said, we need to turn him because we need to wash down his back. And as we did, we saw that from the middle of his back down to the back of his knees was completely black with bruising. And even she was shocked. She said, oh my God, look at the bruising. Because he kept saying his back hurt. Mm. And it transpired months later that he'd got this split vertebrae, but because he had so much bruising, and he was laying flat on his back all the time because of their leg situation, they put the pain down to that. Mm. So I think that's why that didn't get discovered because they were so busy trying to save his leg. Keith told me how the back injury restricts him now. Let's say for the sake of an argument, I'll wake at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I've got to sit in this chair for a good couple of hours and then I can start moving about. So what can you not do that you could do before? Simple things like um, picking something up from off the floor. It's a task to get down, pick it up, and then get back up again. It is a task. And you Just like a fo- stupid thing like that. Yeah. You liked football, didn't you? Loved me football. Loved, uh, yeah, it was, I was a, a semi-pro footballer. So, believe it or believe it not, but I was. I've got grandchildren now. I've got two grandsons. Uh, and I'd love to take them in the garden and show them some tricks, but I can't, can't do it now. The Prime Minister at the time paid a visit to the hospital the day after the attack. Well, she was a very nice lady, to be fair. Was it a surprise or did they warn you she was coming? Yeah, I had about a 10-minute warning, I believe. <laughs> because she, it wasn't advertised, she didn't, she'd just done it on a whim, she just came up. Um, no one knew, the press didn't know, no one knew. Uh, and uh, she, yeah, she's a very nice lady, to be fair. What kind of effect did it have on you, the fact that she did this, though? Oh, no, that was, I mean, if she took the time out to come out and see me, which was... Excellent. Linda remembers it as an important moment for Keith. As she was coming onto the ward, bearing in mind this was only the day after it happened, Leslie, the CEO, said to Keith, I'm watching you, Keith, behave. Prime Minister's come in. (laughs) So they knew what he was like, even at that point. And as she came up, she was like, Leslie was standing there watching him (laughs) behave, pointing at him. 
And he had a really, really long talk with her. And at one point, one of the people with her said, come on, try to move her on. Mrs. May, we need to move on. She said, no, 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 I'm talking to Keith. I can't tell you the difference it made to him. It was massive. Keith was one of more than 50 people injured. These people were in a shocked and vulnerable state, but they were also key witnesses. This is where the police's family liaison officers got involved. Detective Sergeant Zach Iden was in charge of family liaison for the police's counter-terrorism command on the day of the attack. He had huge experience after working on many terror incidents, including the multiple attacks on London transport on July the 7th, 2005. We knew that something serious had happened because Twitter feed, Facebook, there was live footage being broadcast of the incident itself. It, it was clear it was a terrorist attack. So as soon as it happened, um, because I was one of the most senior experienced family liaison coordinators, uh, the officer who was designated as dealing with the whole incident asked me to be in a prepared, be in the state of preparedness. And at that stage, that's when I start contacting family liaison officers and saying, start saying, can you report to a certain place? Can you make yourself available? Don't tie yourself up. You may need to deploy to somebody. On that particular day, I think when it came up on the telly immediately in the office, it was literally silence. Um, it reminded of it reminded me of 9-11 when we were in the office and we saw the planes going into the buildings. It was that shock that it was in the heart of Westminster. And then it was literally chaos. Um, people being sent to Westminster Bridge, people being sent to hospitals... Um, the, you will not believe the number of phone calls that come in in the first few minutes with people trying to get information, that's members of the public trying to get information, that's police officers trying to get information, it's the press trying to get information. So it, it's very much a case of trying to get your resources in the right place as quickly as you can and dealing with the information, prioritising what is essential and getting officers and family liaison officers out to where they're most needed. Zach deployed 60 officers to families affected by the Westminster terror attack. He's clear about the role family liaison officers must play. The role of family liaison officers is clear. It's an investigative role. That is the primary role of the family liaison officer. Because it, sound, it sounds like a counselling kind of role, doesn't it's, it? It's, it's, I think the public perception is, is that it is a counselling role. I, I've often been asked about, you know, the, the, the perception is of a a cuddly person who goes and puts their arm around family members, of course that might happen, that naturally happens, because a family liaison officer has to be sympathetic, they have to be empathetic. But it's not enough for them just to be that, because if a family wants information, an investigation needs information, then they need to be able to question the family about different aspects of the victim, why they were at the particular place. They need to be able to take them to distressing places like potentially a mortuary hospital to see their their dead loved one. So the family liaison officer has to have a number of skills, but the main thing is investigative. As well as Keith's physical difficulties, he also suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. A simple thing like crossing a road, uh, I can't really do. No, well, I, I can cross a road, but it's not uh, it's not good. What, what does, why, why, what happens? It, it's, it, it, if, if there's a car in the distance, on that road, I could probably cross that road three or four times, but I won't until that car's gone and it's got to be completely empty, then I'll cross. I mean, if I'm in a like Tesco's car park, let's say, uh, I used to just get out of the car and walk into Tesco's. Well, now 
I'm more I'll get out of the car, get on the path, and walk through. I always walk through the car park. I used to, but I won't now, because just cars just pull out and from the car park, zoom off, and I'm just worried to death. It'll be that again. You know what I'm saying? Is there anything else that affects you? Driving, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't like drive like Miss Daisy now. I used to drive to it, just drive, but now I'm roundabouts, uh, T junctions, that sort of thing. I'm I take forever to pull out because it's got to be clear. It really has. But I'll, I won't I won't go out in between cars. It's, it's got to be clear. Keith will no longer visit the capital. I, I'd like to go back to Chelsea Westminster to see the staff. Uh, I'd like to go to Guy's uh, to see the boys there. I won't go to Tommy's because that's that's right on the bridge. I won't not go there. You see, Linda likes the theatre. I like the theatre as well. We used to go to the theatre about once a year, I suppose, to watch a show. I won't do that anymore. Chelsea. I'm a, I'm a big Chelsea football fan. I won't go there either. And why, why won't you go? Is it just, just bring back too many memories? Yeah, it's just London. If To be, for want of a better word, it frightens me. London frightens me because... I can't run because you, you, the, the latest stuff on London Bridge, all you can hear the police saying is run, run that way. I can't run. Is that what it is? You, you feel like you can't yeah, save yourself? Yeah, I can't get away. So what, what chance have I got? Inevitably, Linda's life has been transformed too. The picture that we'd painted for our future when we retired is completely changed. What was it? Oh, it would have been a lot of outings and travelling, like go abroad a bit. And we'd been to Catalonia and Greece a couple of times and I absolutely loved it so you know just doing stuff with the family which we obviously still do do but Keith's not as physically active so we can't go trekking across Dartmoor for example when we go down to see his nieces so we've had to learn to adjust basically has that been difficult um yeah it's been actually quite hard I mean it's not as hard as seeing him injured or the changes it's made to him because like he's he's not quite the same person he's the same person but he's a changed person he's not confident like he used to be he used to be so confident to do anything nothing would faze him but now he he's a bit more of a worrier which is completely out of character our lives have shrunk it's got smaller so the life we had has shrunk and the life we thought we were going to have when we retired, still not quite sure what that's going to be really because I don't quite know in this recovery where Keith might get to. I don't know whether he's ever going to feel brave enough to get on a train or go to our capital city, which I really would love to do, but I want to do it with him. I don't want to, I can go off and do things on my own, but that's not the point, is it? We're a couple and we belong together and I want to do it with him. Keith and Linda are thankful for all the help they've received from medical staff and police officers. They were also supported by Patrick Maguire and Amber Braybrook from Slater and Gordon. Linda had always thought lawyers wouldn't be very approachable. A bit aloof and stuffy, really, and not down to earth and like a normal person, but they were very down to earth and very normal and very clever. You know, it's it's nice talking to clever people. <laughs> well, it is, because you learn stuff, don't you? And, um, yeah, I, I just found them 
very very easy to get along with once it took a long time before we got to that point of realizing that Keith did have a claim for compensation but once we did realize it um it was things started to fall into place a little bit it felt like we did have a future whereas up until that point it was about six months down the line I think it was just we didn't know what was going to happen to be honest yeah exactly constant pain exactly caring exactly we didn't know what was going to happen and we didn't know um we'd always work Keith went to work when he was 15 I went to work when I was 16 neither of us had ever had any kind of a benefit in our lives we didn't know even claiming for parents so we didn't know we could claim any benefits we didn't know how we were going to live so as soon as we met the legal team they were well basically they would you you could just ring up and say we need some more money and you've got interim payments or to be honest more likely Patrick would ring us and say how's it going for money and I'd go well we were, we're all right and he said yeah but Linda you've got Christmas coming up I said yeah but we'll be fine don't you think you might need a little bit more and I said well a bit of a top up then because <laughs> I'd been used to my whole life managing with not too much money anyway so I was good at managing but it, yeah reassuring very very reassuring I would say Keith and Linda were awarded enough compensation to be able to move to a house more suited for someone with his injuries. The payments also help make up for the fact that he can't work anymore. I spoke to Amber Braybrook from the legal team. She told me that legal changes meant that Keith and Linda were able to get compensation from the motor industry. Just before the Westminster attack, there was a fundamental change in the law. And what this meant was that where somebody had been involved in an act of terrorism and a vehicle had been used as a weapon, then that person had a claim against the motor industry rather than having to pursue a claim through the criminal injury scheme. And what kind of difference did that make? So the criminal injury scheme is notoriously stringent. Um, Unfortunately, there's no access to private rehabilitation There's no access to interim payments, so that would mean that somebody has to wait until the case is concluded before they receive any financial compensation. And there's also a cap on the level of compensation that somebody can receive, and that's currently capped at £500,000. So is it fair to say in the case of someone like Keith, that change in the law meant that he could expect quicker access to more money and interim payments. Absolutely, yes. So um, with Keith, we were able to get him the rehabilitative support that he needed. Um, He suffered very serious orthopaedic injuries, so his previous accommodation was no longer suitable. So we were able to help and assist with getting him single-level accommodation. And again, there, there would be no cap on the amount of compensation that Keith would receive. And what might have happened to him if he wasn't eligible under the new changes in the law? So he would have potentially been stuck in the existing property um, or the same property. Um, His financial situation would have been, well, who knows, he would have been suffering potentially financial hardship because he wouldn't have had access to the regular interim payments that we were able to get for Keith. Um, And he wouldn't have had potentially the amount of compensation that he did receive in the end. As well as the compensation, counselling has helped both Keith and Linda. It was really, really helpful. Really, really helpful. So I would say to anybody, if you're offered counselling, you need to go for it. I I remember a lady at work said to me, do you need to see a counsellor, Linda? Because 
they might help you with your anger. And this was in the very early days, so it was about six months after. So you were quite angry about what yeah, happened at that stage? Yeah, very angry. And I said, no, 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 I like my anger. It keeps me sane and I owe it to Keith to be angry. I don't want it taken away just yet. Are you it still was, angry? No, I think I, I've got past that. But at the time, I needed it. It was like a comfort blanket. And I wasn't even angry at the person that did it because he, he he was gone at the time. How can... Maybe it's even worse because there's no one it, to... It was, he was gone. I think I was more angry. Oh, it's difficult to say what you're angry about. It's just, why enough do these things happen? Why don't we allow people with different beliefs to just live their own lives? We shouldn't attack each other because we're different. You definitely need counselling, definitely. What do you think it changed for you? Uh, it was just sp- speaking to her about um, all, all of all of the, the, the problems that you had when you know, all the way through the attack, you know. And uh, no, it, it, she was brilliant. She really was. Like I say, at first, uh, you do. Uh, I'm the sort of person I feel stupid, you know. Um, when I'm sitting there, I, I just thought, what is this? This, this is absolute... Because she used to wave her hand and I used to have to look at her hand. I was like, what are you doing, woman? But it, <laughs> but it worked. What was she doing? It was, I don't know, she was moving her hand and I said to follow it in my eyes. And then she used to, she used to ask me certain bits and pieces. <laughs> and I just said, I don't know why you're moving your hand, but it worked. It did work. Keith is describing a form of therapy called eye movement desensitisation and reprocessing, which has been found to be really effective in treating PTSD. Zach Iden has lots of experience of dealing with traumatic situations, and he also believes counselling is crucial. There's times when we cry. There's sometimes when we get home and you, you think, bloody hell, I'm glad, rather than the me. The difference is, is we're able to often reach out to support services ourselves. Counselling is very, very important. After we've been family liaison officers, it's really important that we debrief. We reach out to our colleagues to make sure we are all right. And if we need additional support, it's there. Sometimes it can be just a run, a bit of exercise. Sometimes it's a social with family members or colleagues. But we have to, we're all different and we all have different ways of sort of dealing with sort of the consequences of the the relationships we've had to build with family members. Have you ever had to seek counselling yourself? Always. It's it's something that we identified after 2005 that was really important after we finished a big case that we went and spoke with occupational health or we spoke with a counsellor just to make sure we're okay. And it's really important that we do that to make sure when we deploy again, we are okay. Because ultimately all that happens is you build up a lot of pressure. And when you're trying to get a family to um, reach out to you to support them, if we ourselves are not strong enough to support them, we are no good to the family. So it's really important all family liaison officers are encouraged to reach out for that sort of support and counselling. Keith speaks with a very calm, level voice, but at times when he was talking to me, there were tears rolling down his face. But now, in their new house, and with all the help and support they've received, Keith is looking forward to a new life. That's, that's my garage just out, out the window there, so that, that will be 
turned into a little man shed, if you like. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I like mending things. Like I want to build a doll's house for my granddaughter. Is what I want to do. You know, and I'll be quite happy uh, building doll's houses and stuff. Yeah. Keith, thank you. My pleasure. Keith Chapman there at his home in Stevenage. My thanks to him, his partner Linda Rennie, former family liaison officer Zach Iden, and Amber Braybrook from Slater and Gordon. If you want to know more, have a look at the website slatergordon.co.uk forward slash podcast or head over to the social media channels and search hashtag casefilespod and join the conversation. In our next episode, the last in the current series, we look at some of the biggest issues faced by Slater and Gordon lawyers specialising in employment. We really get to grips with equal pay, politics at work and whistleblowing, as well as guiding you through how to deal with issues in the workplace. I'm Kate Chabot. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.